We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging, for they hold the memories, the traditions, the culture and hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples across the nation. Hello Magic Seekers and welcome to Turns Out She's a Witch. We're your hosts Tracy and Shannon and welcome to our podcast coven. Laura here. A week or so ago, Shannon and myself had the wonderful pleasure of interviewing Laura Bowen for an episode over on Turns Out She's Psychic. And this week, we thought we would release it over here on this channel for anyone that might have missed it. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Turns Out She's Psychic. It is myself, Laura, and Shannon today, and Shannon's yes. joining us because she gave us a heads up on a really special dream guest for our network, and that is of Laura Bowen. Welcome, Laura. And Shannon. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for our listeners, Shannon, you might know from Turns Out She's a Witch that she does with Tracy and me on the Odd Occurrence, and Laura Bowen has kindly been generous with her time today, and I'm going to read out a little bit of information and introduction to you. So, so I hope I'm not going to embarrass you too much. <laughs> they won't see me going red. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Laura Bowen is a leader within her family and the wider community, taking on the honour and responsibility of speaking up, sharing her truth and encouraging others through living by example of her core values of truth, cultural integrity, honesty and connection and respect. Laura is well known as a storyteller through her art, published oracle decks and courses. She shares her culture and very special connection to country by encouraging individuals to learn from observing, documenting and interpretation of the flora, fauna and sacred spaces that form the cultural landscapes that make up our natural environment. She has spent over half her life speaking and advocating on Aboriginal education and cultural governance as a representative in local and regional communities and has increased her qualifications to move into a mentoring and education space after becoming qualified as a business leadership and management teacher in the vocational education and training sector. Welcome, Laura. <laughs> it's lovely to be here. <laughs> I didn't blush too much. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> I'm pleased. Um, and now, first question I have is for Shannon. Shannon, tell me why Laura was on your list. Oh, well, I've actually owned your saltwater reading cards for quite a few years now, and they are part of my daily rituals. I love them. I really resonate with them. They're so spot on. It's like freaky sometimes. And <laughs> the artwork, just the energy of them is so beautiful and yeah, I've just always really loved them and you've always been on my list of people I'd love to meet and connect with. And then when Tracy kind of, 
we had a conversation last week where she was like, mate, you know, who is your dream people to have on the podcast? And, and you were one of them. And I was so excited when you said yes to coming on and speaking with us. So thank you. Well, thank you for um, thinking of me. I really appreciate uh, the fact that my cards uh, touch people. It's always really sweet to know that what you've created actually is part of someone else's um, spiritual practices. That's really sweet. Mm. No, thank you for creating them. They're beautiful. I love them. <laughs> they did feature actually, Shannon, in one in your first ever sister circle that I attended um, mm-hmm. at the end of last year. Yes, they did. Yeah. Yes, they did. Laura, are you able to tell us about the creation of them and what they meant to you? Yeah, so it's actually um, it's actually a really sweet story. So when I, my first deck was the Dreamtime reading cards, but I'd self-published it originally as the Southern Cross Oracle. So once it was um, traditionally published by Rockpool Publishing, of course, they're like, what's your next project going to be? And I really wanted to do different um, environments. Anyone who does my nature reading knows I really love the energy of different environments that um, fresh water and salt water have a very different energy. And so I thought, well, I'll highlight salt water. For me, salt water also has a really healing property. And I love the fact that it changes um, people who, people and animals, plants, everything that live in that environment. And that they have um, anything that does call that home has a lot of challenges with the salt and the sun to try and make sure that they can survive in that environment. Mm. And of course, the salt with the with the healing and the cleansing. So emotionally, I've always seen them as an emotional a very emotional deck and it just so happens that I lost two of my um, great aunts during the creation of that deck Um, aunts that had kind of always guided me and um, ones that I saw as my mentors you know Mm. so one of them I'd actually lived with for quite a long time so one was on my Aboriginal side and one was on my um, English Irish kind of side and I really felt that as I was creating the cards that I was working through a lot of the more heavy emotions that we so often want to hide from. So there are cards in the deck like guilt and anger and um, jealousy and things that often um, as emotions we kind of put on that they're bad or, you know, they're negative, let's avoid them kind of side. And I yeah and I'm not I'm, I'm really not a um I'm a an avoider I'm more of a like let's go down into that why do you feel like that you know what is it about how you're feeling that you dislike um you know how can you honor it but in a way that's a bit healthy and doesn't hurt others while you work through it that kind of thing mm. um so I really it became a lot more uh emotional deck than I expected it to and it was really a process Um, It was the quickest deck I've ever created. It only took me three months to do all of the artwork and write the guidebook. I think a lot of that was fueled just by grief, though. Like I feel like I worked through my own feelings about my aunts as part of that process. So there was, yeah, and so there was definitely some sleepless nights where I just stayed up painting and stuff. And I feel like... um, I've got some of my favourite ever artworks in that deck, ones that even now I um I print out and, you know, give away as presents and that kind of thing. So uh, I do 
I do think that that process changed me. I actually haven't created a deck since my saltwater deck and I didn't necessarily look after myself well during that process, um, although I did manage to work through a lot of the emotions and create something that I know other people now work with and has helped them with stuff. I also failed to self-care during that process. I didn't necessarily look after myself, sleep well. I completely burnt myself out and... Um, those were the lessons I took away from the deck, that I can finish a project and work to a deadline and that even at a time when I probably should have just taken time off, I wanted to, I didn't let anyone down, so I wanted to stick to that. But, yeah, in hindsight, it taught me a lot of things about why self-care is important. <laughs> mm, it's the way we Absolutely. learn though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sure is. One of the cards that really... Um, stuck out for me in that deck was the whale card and I yeah yeah and I know um I had an experience um in I do pottery classes and we make blessing bowls and I had a a beautiful gentleman there and I always love before we uh, we put like symbols and words and people really personalize their blessing bowls and I always have like a whole heap of decks out on the table if they feel like they need some inspiration and I had this gentleman pull that card and he just broke down when he read that and it just I don't know what the story was behind his grief but it hit him in all the feels and yeah it's just a powerful tool it's such a powerful tool um yeah, to help people navigate these emotions and and I think you know myself being a witch it's not shying away from the darkness and not shying away from those darker aspects of life it's it's the dark and the light and the balance of it all and that's how we grow and learn and yeah so I love that your cards really do highlight everything <laughs> well I, I think as a society we really don't have the same value and um we don't see death as a lot of the traditional communities did or the um, the grief card was actually made before I lost my aunts and it's based on the fact that I lost my little brother when I was 12 years mm-hmm. old. Um, he died quite young. He was only 16 days old. And so mm-hmm. my whole childhood every year we celebrated his birthday. So I grew up from very young um, with this visiting the cemetery every year for his birthday. Yeah, celebrating his birthday and then 16 days later would be more of a um, a sombre day, you know, where we mm-hmm. missed him but we'd always celebrate his birthday. So I spent a lot of my childhood in the cemetery <laughs> just in general and it sounds, um, I guess, morbid to some but it's part of why I've always felt such a strong connection to spirit because mm-hmm. I feel like from a very young age I had this idea that people who passed were still with us and we still could celebrate with them, talk to them and share with them. And so, um, but there is yearly things where you really do get that um, overwhelming feeling um, and you think that you would grow out of grief or that somehow it becomes less. It's just different because, mm-hmm. like, even now, like I'm 45 now and I still every year feel those same feelings when the annual you know start of March comes and I'm like oh it's March (laughs) you know what I mean so yeah yeah Yeah, but I think we should normalize it more I think we should normalize the fact that most people will lose someone at some stage Mm. in their life and how do we deal with that yeah Yeah, certainly not by not talking about it it's certainly not by pretending (laughs) that it doesn't Mm. exist and it's certainly not by even Um, you know, I've worked with people that have been through some pretty horrendous times and, you know, whenever you see them, it's 
this awkward exchange that lasts for a few seconds. Do I say something and acknowledge it? I don't want to make it worse. I don't want to want to upset them. And so quite often nothing is said, but that's often worse. Worse than not saying anything at all. Yeah. They never know that you care. They never know that you're thinking all of that stuff. And Mm. often it's easier just to say, hey, is there anything you'd like to chat about? Yeah. And sometimes it'll be happy memories and sometimes it'll be I'm actually feeling really crappy. (laughs) You know, like it's it's different every time, I think. Yeah, sort Mm. of getting out of the way of your own comfort Mm. and uh, worrying about theirs you know, considering there's sometimes you've got to get a little bit uncomfortable. It's not that bad, but it's not always about you and how you're feeling, is it? Oh, totally. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's oh my sure. goodness. Oh yeah. We could talk for hours on that. We could definitely. <laughs> well, I have a, another question for yeah. you. So you, you're an amazing artist, writer and teacher. So how important is creating art within the Aboriginal culture? And is it an integral part of your storytelling? So it's not the art that I think is um, really important. What my art is created on is my connection to country and how I see the land and the connection of the land and the animals and and the flora and fauna and everything within it and how it's there as the energy of my ancestors um I live on Gambangia land so I wasn't born here this um I mean I was born on Gambangia land but this isn't where my Aboriginal family come from where Birupai so I've always um been taught to look to the land for answers but I've had to talk to the local um, custodians here and grew up with them as my um helping me understand what is important to them here, what's sacred to them, what cultural connections different animals and plants have here um, so that I could then be connected to the land that I lived on. So all of my art is about this land, like the Gimbangi land. Um, I don't paint stories of here because it's not, they're not my stories to tell. I do talk though of my own personal connection and the lessons I've learned from the animals and the plants that have become part of my spirituality. Mm, I love that. So, yeah, yeah, it's the connection, not necessarily. And it just so happened that the art is how that came out. Um, mm-hmm. There's quite a few artists in my on the Aboriginal side of my family. Uh, the more we have family reunions and get together, the more I see that it's something that quite a few of us do do. So um, that's kind of cute, I, the fact that we've all found art, you know, as a meeting. But even then, it's not just painting. We have uh, people who knit and crochet and in the same kind of way, though, where they use, like, the, the colours of nature. I think it all comes back to being inspired and connecting mm. to the country and using, and using the art as a way of uh, celebrating and sharing that connection. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And is there any particular um, like plant or animal that you are more drawn to? I have my favourites. Yeah, (laughs) please Um, do share. (laughs) I have a butterfly is Mm -hmm. um, always associated with my baby brother. So you'll see me post a lot of um, butterflies around March um, and often I'll paint just plain white ones like you'll see in um, I think of them as family members who have passed so mm-hmm. anytime I'm painting just the white outline of butterflies that's me talking about my spiritual connections and the ones that mm-hmm. the people that I miss and value but dragonfly I love dragonflies damselflies um, I feel like 
I love the fact that they can fly. I'm six foot two and I've always been slightly overweight or sometimes, you know, a lot <laughs> overweight. So I see the little petite dragonflies and I'm like, yep, that, 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 that's the animal I most connect with. And I'm not quite sure how. <laughs> like, it's not like I I'm tiny, but, you know, in my, in my head, I'm a, I'm a dragonfly. I love that. <laughs> that is beautiful. Yeah. And I've also noticed you have like so many wonderful offerings on your website. So ranging from the mentoring, online courses and your original artwork. But one offering in particular really caught my eye, which is your nature reading consultations. So can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah. So what um, I used to think that everyone could understand and answer questions by what they saw in their local environment. And I know uh, growing up with my brothers and sisters and stuff, they'd often point out uh, a bird or an encounter and I'd say, oh, that means such and such, or you've got to be careful that you don't, you know, like I, and um, as I got older and, of course, now when we've got so much social media and stuff, I realised that it's something that people could learn that I could help them understand um, how to read their environment. And some people are happy to do the courses and learn that process for themselves, but other people just want to know the answer. They just want to know <laughs> what it is. So I offer consultations where they give me all the information about whatever animal they've seen and what it was doing when they saw it. And we work through how that can um, be used in their own life. So, for example, if they are seeing a lot of birds, especially birds with juvenile, like with young or nesting and stuff, and when you start looking at what their situation is, it could be that they they are ready to set down roots and actually have, um, you know, start nesting, but for whatever reason they haven't. So we can start looking at what the birds are doing and how they could use that same energy in their own life and how that might actually help them, you know, work through things. And sometimes it's just if people need to make a big decision and they get a really strong feeling that their environment is trying to tell them something, like they might see unusual animal messengers repeatedly and they're doing the same thing every time they see it but it's out of character or it's an animal that would normally be nocturnal and they're seeing it in the daytime and that's often a really good indication that it's a specific message for them and we can work through what their energy of the messenger is and how that could relate to something that's happening in their own life at the moment. I love that because that's so important about mm. yeah, it's not just seeing the animal that's what it's doing and that gives you a good indication of what it's yeah. all about. Yeah. yeah. And also the environment we're seeing it in because, mm -hmm. um, like I said, with the salt water and the fresh water, different environments have different challenges and the way an animal deals with the challenges in that thing can show us some really good um, advice on mm -hmm. how we can work with the same environment. So if we're seeing, so for example, a pelican, most people associate pelicans with the beach. You know, you go to the beach and you see the pelican. So there's been a few times that we've had one swimming on our local river here and we're about 20 minutes from the beach. So it's not its normal environment. And just the other day I saw one flying and I was like, yeah, you don't see them flying very often, especially not away from the coast. So, you know, different animals outside of their environment, you wonder how they could take what works well in an environment that's very different. So, you know, what's what can they use here or what would they be challenged with here and how does that apply to what, what's happening for us at the moment? Mm. 
Yeah. We had two random uh, visitors just over the last week. <laughs> Care to do an impromptu insight? Sure. What have you been seeing? <laughs> well, we've had four guinea fowl around the house oh. almost every day being really loud. And there's always three together and one slightly separate. But there, yep. we live on um, like where two roads meet. We're at the point. And, yeah. Um, yeah, they're always sort of around where we are, which is interesting because we have a dog who's really keen to see what they taste like, but she hasn't <laughs> had much luck yet. <laughs> so have they been loud or are, yeah. are you just seeing? So they're making they a were, lot of... They were initially loud the first few days and now yeah. they're less loud. Now they, they sound a bit happier. But they're always, they're, you know, rooting up the front yard, even making a little dirt nest right down the bottom of our stairs wow <laughs> so are they have you um lived where you are for a while have, have you seen them before are they new visitors they're new visitors just in the yeah. last week maybe longer just over not even two weeks yet okay so I'll explain how I do it while I interpret it for you just so sure. that anyone listening along so we look at how many there were first because just one Yep. messenger often means that it relates to us directly if there's a few like a family mm. it might be like if we see like a family of animals where it's obvious as a mother father or you know parent parental figures and children it relates to our, our nuclear family uh-huh. the message will um in your case with the four and three sitting together and one outside I'd say it would be more likely a friend group uh-huh. so your immediate kind of closer friends and I would be interested to know if there's one of you that it's feeling a little bit left out or that hasn't been able to participate as much as the rest of you or maybe going through a bit of a period where um I don't know with lockdown and everything not being able to get out as much but really missing that getting together having a chat and and doing the normal everyday things as a group yeah makes a lot of sense doesn't it yeah and because they're birds and I, the reason I asked if you could hear them is because yep. one of the things with birds is we often hear them and sometimes we don't even see them. You'll oh. often know you have kookaburras around because you yeah. hear them laugh, but you mightn't have seen them. The fact that you're seeing them and hearing them is all about communication and who you're communicating with and how you're communicating. So if they were calming down now, it's probably that there's a lot that you need to say and to make sure that you say it to all who are involved, not leaving out anyone just because they mightn't be as um, clicky as the rest of them. So Mm -hmm. to make sure that everyone has the same message and that they've all been um, communicated with together, like if you can't get them together, that you individually go and talk to each one of them. Same thing. Ah, this makes lots of sense. There you go. Well, I have then, another a similar question because yeah. on Turns Out She's a Witch, I've had a lot of messages over the last couple of weeks about people seeing crows mm. and really kind of freaking out because I guess crows are normally depicted as this darker kind of bird where myself I always see the crow as a messenger between Same. the spirit world yeah, and, and like our that. world. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Yeah, but I've just had quite a lot of people go, oh, I keep seeing like seeing crows and they're looking at me and like, what does it mean? What does it mean? <laughs> this so, is, mine's, that un, un, mine's probably going to be an unpopular opinion, but <laughs> I think the reason why a lot of people do feel intimidated by crows is because I do, I believe that they're a messenger in between, you know, the veil like that can speak for both sides. But I also think that if there was an animal I had to pick that represented responsibility and taking mm-hmm. responsibility for our actions and that justice, the idea of like, um, you know, 
fair fair play, fair outcomes, it would be the crow. So I think sometimes um, if we had to actually sit and weigh up ourselves, our actions and how we feel about different things we've done, if we think we've been, no one likes to feel like they haven't done the right thing, but I think there's a lot of grey area sometimes and I think the crow can really sit in your face about whether or not you feel like you're acting in the best of integrity. So I think that's why a lot of people find them a bit impossible, you know, a bit, yeah. I, they're like a little, mm. yeah, they're like a little, you know, in the cartoons they have like the little angel on one side and the little devil <laughs> yeah. on the other side. I think it's like a combination of both and they just kind of look at you and they look into your soul and you can yes. tell they know <laughs> what you've done. <laughs> that's why I think they're a bit intimidating to some people. <laughs> Yeah, they're truth seers. Truth seers. Yeah, Mm, that's so interesting. And hopefully, our listeners will draw something from that. That's food for thought. That's for sure. Yeah, just have a little (laughs) bit of self reflection. If you're seeing a lot of crows and they're making you feel uneasy, just have a bit of self reflection about there's any areas where maybe you haven't acted in the best of integrity or been completely truthful. And if there's a Mm -hmm. way that you could maybe rectify that so you feel more comfortable. Mm. Yeah, a little symbol of something to have a look at yourself for. Yeah. Check yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So is nature reading something that you've always practiced? I didn't know that that's what, it, like I, I called it nature reading mm-hmm. um, because that was the best way I could describe it. But growing up I was always taught to ask nature for help basically. So um, my granddad had a really amazing way of introducing us to an, our environment. He wouldn't point things out and say, that's an interesting stick or like, you know, like that sticks or whatever, or that he'd say, oh, look at this plant. It's different to that one over there. What do you think's happened to this one? Or he'll point out a rock that might be something special and he goes, oh, have you seen one like that before? You know, he was, it was all about asking questions and even the way he introduced things was, for us to grow our own interpretation from it. And there was lots of walks when I was growing up with my grandparents. I grew up on, they had a farm and they divided it before between their four daughters. So I grew up with my cousins and my aunts and uncles and nice. lots of bush walks up on the range. And um, they used to take us Jen Foster King a lot as well. So all of those kind of things introduced me to crystals quite young and um, just nature and respect for nature like Mm. we were taught to only walk on the path and if animals kind of blocked our way that maybe we weren't meant to go that way you know that that was their way of letting us know that we'd step somewhere that wasn't really somewhere we should be so to go back um so yeah nature reading is always something I did but it wasn't something that I realized other people didn't naturally do until honestly I was I know in high school I started to realise that maybe my family was a bit different and that we saw and heard and, like, felt things that others didn't. And um, I've been, like, pretty witchy since I was about 15. I think that was the best way to to kind of um, put it. But it was honestly in high school that I started to realise that what I thought was normal practices um, from a very magical kind of spiritual background was not how other families did and wasn't the same I don't know natural skills that other people just knew <laughs> yeah yeah sure. when it's you know second nature to you it would be hard to then 
realise not everyone's like that. Yeah, yeah. So um, and, and I, I, it is something that I try and, like, my kids, they're pretty funny because, like, they'll come in like, Mom, a bird's on my windowsill and I don't know what I did. <laughs> Um, but my nan, uh, my so she would be my great grandmother, uh, had a really special affinity with birds. She was um, Irish Scottish, and she was one of those beautiful little nans that you know she wore an apron still all the time with pockets. Aww. And in wow. the pocket, in you know how you see um, on Instagram at the moment, lots of people talk about dresses with pockets. Yeah, that was my great nan. Okay, she'd have Aww. everything. You'd ask her for anything, and she'd put a hand in a little apron Aww. pocket. I love, and she'd that. be able to I pull it out. Yeah, but she'd often sit and crumble up um like the crusts like tiny and um sprinkle them outside and, and talk to the birds and as a young teenager when you're getting yourself into you know trouble my nan had asked me if I'd done something and I'm like no and she's like oh uh, the birds told me and so I'd see wow. her sitting down talking to the birds and you give the birds like an evil look and say what are you telling my nan <laughs> so, so this idea that people could get messages from birds was one that I honestly just always thought everyone did <laughs> I love that that is yep. beautiful yeah and have you talked about your Irish and or your Scottish roots with Laura yet no yeah well, I have uh well my mum's Scottish and yep. my dad's Scottish Irish and a little dash of German so oh, I've definitely wow. got those those roots as well so beautiful yeah very um laden in superstition and mm. yeah and that connection um to spirit I think is is really it, deep yeah and I think it's like a respect for the fact that the yeah. spirit world's very real and how not to um how to try and stay in good favor with it I think that's where a lot of the superstitions come from in general yeah. you know so yeah but when you think of it as they are their ancestors anyway like you don't want to upset your elders that's just basic practice anyway so I can understand where a lot of them come from yeah sure yeah, yeah healthy dose of respect and fear <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah I definitely think the fear's a little like elevated there's <laughs> <laughs> a teenager in all of us <laughs> oh yes. yes there is and Laura can I ask which of the elements do you feel really connected to um, when I was younger, I would have said earth, okay, mm -hmm. but I'm actually not at all very, I'm not a green thumb. Like I can't grow anything. My husband does all the gardening here because I suck. <laughs> I can't even keep houseplants alive. <laughs> <laughs> and I do like, um, I do like trees, but like not to the extent that I know a lot of people who absolutely love trees, love trees. I do like fresh water like river rocks and that really beautiful space where you can hear the water flowing and you're maybe sitting on river rocks and there's lots of moss I really love that kind of environment but I'm not a water person either because I can't <laughs> swim <laughs> Yeah. so mm -hmm. mine would um I do love storms though so I think it's air mm -hmm. I think I would have to say my elements there which explains I think the creativity and the thoughts and the study like um air I think is my but it took me a long time to get to the point where I realized that that was probably the element that I should focus on <laughs> yeah but it's definitely relationship building isn't it with each element yeah totally yeah um, and, and a fire of course I um I do I do like a bit of fire. I do like, you know. <laughs> I'm, Don't we all? <laughs> yes. I probably I probably burn way too much stuff. You know, the idea of like, you know, just 
like let it let it burn I'm I'm a big one for that but yeah I think if I had to pick an element that best portrays my personality it would be air yeah yeah I love that and I did want to ask as well so we have had a few of our listeners writing and and is there any simple way you can recommend that they can connect with the land they reside on and how to respect the traditional custodians? Mm. Yeah. So the first thing is, is to, yeah, is to find out who the trust uh, the traditional custodians of the area you are, like where you're living, find mm-hmm. out who they are um, and acknowledge them. So I really encourage people to go to their local council or to their local museums um, and actually just find out the history of the area. You might live somewhere where there's been um, a lot of early conflict. That's really common. And it could be that you sit somewhere that has multiple nations come together. So you may have to acknowledge more than one. It might be a meeting place where quite a few different nations reside. But so number one, find out who they are and the history of the area is the first step. Um, I really encourage people to do um, acknowledgements of country, um, put a name to the land you're living on, if it's the Gambangia country, you know, and, and thank the people who have cared for it and continue to now. And then just observe observe what happens, take note of the change of seasons. And that's what Aboriginal cultural connection always was. We had to know our environment because we needed it to survive. We believe that um, there's an energy in everything, living and non-living, and that it all deserves respects and has a place. So different nations will value different things, uh, will have different... um, areas that are more significant to them so there'll be salt water or fresh water people and they'll have a specific you know um, love for those areas and a respect for those but you can still connect with respect I, I really encourage people if they're exploring their local area to announce their like introduce themselves if they're about to start walking on a on a bush track or something just introduce yourself ask permission let them know that you you know you're there with respect literally talking to your environment you're talking to the grass talking to the trees because that's where the spirit is of um that's where those ancestor spirit sits and you're just asking for permission and the thing is if anything happens where it goes uh you might everything might go quiet or you might have an animal that you consider intimidating come and cross your path then understand that it's probably a sacred area where you shouldn't be and just don't go there that's a really respectful way of just exploring your own environment while respecting that um the culture of it there'll be places that feel safe and there'll be places that might feel a little off and where the wildlife will tell you that the I call them the guardians of place they'll let you know that it's not somewhere you should be so you know if a snake blocks your path just turn around it's pretty simple <laughs> yeah you know what I mean um so yeah no I I, I think that we or live on the land, so it's important that we let the land speak to us if we're the ones that are now 
trusted with caring for it. You know, like obviously um, a lot of uh, the, our Aboriginal ancestors would have had access to the whole environment and now we don't. We have people who own land and build houses. Yeah. And so you're responsible now for caring for that land. And the best way you can do that is by listening through observing. Watch. What, what you know, have a look at what is normal. And then if you start to see something that concerns you, how can you help it? How can you help that environment? Um, if, like, you know, we had the bushfires and stuff come through a little while ago for most of the East Coast here. And um, I know a lot of people have gone out and doing rejuvenation planning and things like that. Like, you know, how can you help contribute to the land that sustains you respectfully mm. and by um, listening to the science that it's giving you? Mm. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> That is beautiful, yeah, yeah, and explains so much and in just such a beautiful way. So, and I, I know I was we taught... can find out more. Like I know that we live on mm. Darkenjung land, but aside yes. from being able to say that, I don't know much else. So I really want to. Mm. And the thing is, you can find out a lot um, about the history. Like it sounds kind of funny, I guess, but like go to your local museum and just find different journals about the area and the way different things were described because often um you find really beautiful well there's some really horrid stuff like you'll find some horrid yeah. stuff I'll be really honest but often there's little gems in it like it might be describing what an area looked like when they first saw it or before something was um settled like you know what their first impressions of an area were and stuff mm -hmm. like that so you get a better idea of um what was how it was treated before when they had the ability to care for it like mm. what it looked like then back past. yeah go yeah yeah and see how how things change so like I, I know here in Balanchen um there was horrible conflict between the first settlers here and the local um owners and that's really depicted a lot in the museum with the fact that until the last 12 years there wasn't even much that acknowledged the traditional families that were still caring for it yeah. um but you can find little gems like I said that that help you better understand if a place um you know and, and there's some really beautiful ones that I can give examples I in my nature reading course one of the first things I get people to do like connecting to country is to this very thing I get them to go and have a look in their local area to see how the traditional custodians and whatever traditional country they're on, the nation, is um, displayed. Are there signs saying welcome to Gambengia country? You know, like as an example, do the council um, have any places that use traditional place names or have they changed any of the names of places back to the traditional place name because the name might have been really like really inappropriate or actually yeah. honoured a massacre or something like that. Do you know what I mean? So, and, and that is part of the history of that place and you have to value that history as well because it changes the energy of a space yeah. when those kind of things happen in it. Like there's witnesses in that, that local environment, in those trees and the grasses and the rocks that That's witness right. yeah. and it will always hold that energy. So it helps us then understand why, um, you know, things are the way they are now. Yeah. in a lot of ways as well so I really I'm a big one for go back go back and learn the history of the area find out 
how things have changed. And physically it changes as well. Um, I get everyone to draw a map of their local area and I need to get them to identify on that water courses like where's the ocean from where you live where's the lo- the where's the rivers and the creeks and how do they run to that ocean like what direction yeah. do they take and how many times do they have to go underneath like towns <laughs> especially in Sydney mm. if you actually look at the underground waterways it's fascinating where the water goes and where it's changed its direction yeah. um and that's all part of that like the cultural landscape the way the landscape looks is often quite significant. So when we see mountains being cut in half or we lose a tree line that's really important, then that will change. Um, often some of the Dreamtime stories for that place, actually they sound like they're for a different place because features or stories about how a ridgeline was was created. Mm. You can't see that ridgeline anymore. It's literally mm. been removed. <laughs> yes, and that's what we talk about with, like, the song lines being removed and the stories, like, no longer representing the physical plane. So uh, I said, yeah, check out the history of the area. Find out um, who traditionally has cared for it. Um, often you can, if, if, if the community, like, if the council is one that, works well with the local Aboriginal community, then you often will find signs, a signage up with different words. And hopefully, and you see it more and more, plaques where they talk about this was um, Mm. often a place where people met and say, an example is down at Yurunga here at the beach. They've got one that says, you know, what the traditional foods were and what seasons they were hunted and things like that. So hopefully we'll see more of that. But it it, it Mm. is available. It just depends on whether or not it's being displayed yet. But some yeah, places yeah. do have it really beautifully, you know, so that people can learn more if they want to. So look for plaques mm. around your local area, signage, traditional place names. Often they'll include a history with that. Like it might be that the word meant many rocks and it was named because of the fact that it always had natural standing rocks or something. So often the traditional place names are, are based on the physical attributes of the area. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for that advice. That's gems in there for Perfect. all of us to take. <laughs> exactly definitely. what we needed to hear. Yeah. Excellent. And, and it's good timing because, you know, these generations are all about acknowledging it at, from a more well-rounded mm-hmm. area. And I think there's a lot of people that are keen to do that. It's just hard to know where to start, what to do, and not want to get it wrong and create more damage. And sometimes... <laughs> that again leads people to going oh well I better not do anything at all because I don't want to do it wrong yeah yeah and the thing is I I know that um a lot of people have questions and quite often I'll do um in my classes where it's like okay if anyone has any of those questions that they just think are really inappropriate questions but you just (laughs) want to know the answer let's have that kind of talk now and often I'll I'll end it like bright red like you can tell it was uncomfortable and embarrassing But if I don't answer it for them, who will? They'll just always mm. never be able to, to have an answer. And sometimes they're really beautiful conversations that come as mm. a result of that and you actually know that someone has a better understanding and a better connection and will be more able to serve the community and the environment just from, like, being able to ask one question that yeah. made me bright red. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're really care. lucky. Um, here on the Central Coast there's a beautiful woman that I've, come into contact with her name's Nerida Blair and she has yarn nights so you can go along to these yarn nights and that is what it's for it's like 
they usually have a topic, but you can ask anything and she will enlighten you. And, and it's a great conversation. And yeah, I've learned so much just from a few sessions with her and, and yeah, there's, there's kind of no taboo subject. It's, it's all out there and it gets discussed, but it needs to be discussed and, and brought to yeah. light so that we all know more. Like it's all, there's so much we need to learn. I think about the Aboriginal culture. It is it's such a rich culture that's been here for what, 65,000 years or something. Yeah, it's crazy. I, and we know <laughs> so little. It, it's, yeah. yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that uncomfortableness can be both ways. Like often you'll have a whole room feel uncomfortable through the process, but then if you ask them a week or two later, they're really grateful for what mm. they learned, even though it was uncomfortable in the process. Yeah. Growth yeah. is uncomfortable, isn't it? It is. And <laughs> <laughs> now I have another question for you. So I'm right into mythology and story. And do you have any like favorite myths or legends? Like what what is one that is your favorite? Okay, so um <laughs> like I said, I don't go into a lot of the Dreamtime stories because I don't share a lot of them because I was born on Burupai land. So, of course, the stories for Burupai don't relate to here at Gambangir and the stories here at Gambangir belong to the Gambangir people. Mm -hmm. But there is a a mountain here that is similar to a mountain in Burupai and they're meant to be related mountains and uh, they're known as the Sleeping Giants. And there's like, it's actually one of my, I actually have a novel that I wrote back in 2012 that I've never published, but hopefully will come out in the next few years. And it's based on the story of the sleeping giants. And it's all about what would happen if they were woken from their slumber. Because while they're sleeping, it's, that's safe. That, but if they come, if they're woken, it's because they need to defend mm. the earth, basically. And that could be. Are rather chaotic because they're giants. <laughs> wow. That's cool. I think you do need to publish that. I, I know. I was just I'm ready to listen to more. <laughs> yeah. So that would be one of my favourites. And growing up that mountain, we lived on a hill that like directly looked at the mountain. Oh. So um, I, I often Wondered. looked at it and thought, hmm. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> and then we'd have stormy nights and you'd hear like trees. Like I lived on a mountain range, so there's lots of trees, lots of there's been many times when we've had storms and lightning hit and trees come down and stuff. I can remember being quite small and laying in bed and listening to the storms and hearing the creaking and going, Oh, is it the mountain? <laughs> Are we <Yeah>. done for? <laughs> is it waking up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do we do? What do we do wrong? <laughs> sorry (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) oh that's wonderful I love it oh well have you got any other questions at all Laura oh my goodness um I feel really satisfied just so you know (laughs) I feel really um I feel really grateful and humbled and I'm just thank you so much no I don't have any further questions but I've just got so much extra Mm. love for you for sharing some knowledge and wisdom and insights and being so generous with your time. Thank you so much. I just want to thank you both for having me. Um, I really, I love being able to share and I don't often um, know who it is that would like to hear it. So the fact that you're sharing me with your audience, I'm super grateful. Thank you. 
Oh, they are going to love hearing from you. Yeah. And where else can they um, find you? So if anyone wants to see all of your beautiful work and offerings. Yes, that will be a question asked by many. So um, you're going to tell us now where we can find you and we'll also include it in our show notes for this episode. Okay, so um, all my socials are Laura J. Bowen. So just Laura J. Bowen. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I have a website. It's... You know, I update it pretty regularly, but often um, I've just come back from a month of moving, so it might not be quite <laughs> all up to date. And hopefully next year, if COVID lets up, um, I will be doing some in-person workshops in some like Queensland, New South Wales, and hopefully Melbourne. So nature reading based will be the plan. Great. So my yeah, and me up. Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. I love the idea of that. That was the plan for this mm. year was yep. to do workshops like um, in-person ones because I love being able to get together with a small group, kind of like you were saying with the yarn nights, like where you actually just all have a cuppa, share some beautiful like snacks and yeah. just chat and, and talk about your different experiences. While um, I'm a big one for the, the practical side of things, so learning something and then being able to action it or put it like try it out and practice that kind of thing Mm. so they would be based around my cards but how they relate to nature reading so people get to play with the cards and we talk about how that relates to their immediate environment so that would be the plan and that was going to be a big part of this year's uh, business strategy and now we're doing it for 2022 (laughs) like a lot of us that's for sure (laughs) and they'll be advertised on the website and on my instagram as they happen and as I get more um confident that we'll be able to go across borders Mm, and stuff yeah Yeah. and we'll share all those deets as well through our lovely little network as well because we'll We'll find you excellent (laughs) thank you so much everybody for tuning in any final words Shannon oh I'm just fangirling that's all it's been such a pleasure yeah Thank you so much.